Our text this morning is in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. And I just want to preface this. I have no idea why, but it, this has nothing to do with the, tr- the fact that Thanksgiving is a few days away, okay? But just uh, what I felt to share, the idea that uh, we're talking about God. I'm not, sorry, Valentine's Day. See, I'm still sick. I'm still sick. There you go. I was just talking to Jay. And, and I'm still not well. I was a little. I was not well this week. So see, there you go. I'm coming, getting over a sickness. Yes, pray for me. Thank you. Valentine's Day, not Thanksgiving Day. Thank you that someone's paying attention. Valentine's Day, but we are talking about the love of God uh, this morning, and um, I will make it through. And I, I praise God that that I am making it through. Uh, and we find this amazing passage here, as there are many in Scripture about the love of God. But in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, I think it's, it's a pretty powerful one, like a lot of them in 1 John, and I'll, and I'll reference that as we go along too. See, this very concept, the idea of love, just this idea of love, is, boy, is it messed up today. So messed up today. And, and I, listen, I'm not here to be a downer and to be negative, and you're like, oh, great, i got to hear this, I'm going to leave all depressed. It is so messed up today. It's messed up. All around our world, it's messed up in the church today. It's messed up by with people here, sitting here today. The idea of what love is and what it's supposed to look like and what it's supposed to feel like, what it's supposed to mean. And, and it's been distorted, twisted, turned upside down and perverted and everything else in between. And it's, we lose sight of what love really is all about. And that's kind of why I want to discuss this this morning. You see, it, it's been going on through all of human history. I mean, the idea of love starts from the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve. And that, that whole creation was a love creation. Let me explain real quick. It came as birth out of love. The Godhead, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, they love each other so much. Their relationship is so perfect. And they come up with a plan to share what they share with a creation. Someone, something outside of themselves. And so they say, hey, let us, especially after all six days, five days of creation of the sixth day, they come along and they say, let us make man in our image. And man is created. Human beings are created by God for one reason, to be loved by them and to love him back. Relationship that was going on there. We see the idea of love that has been out through human history in all different civilizations and different whatever, you, angles and philosophies and views of it. But you look at in the biblically, in the, the book of uh, the nation of Israel, in the, in the Old Testament books of history even, and, the, and also the first five books, the Pentateuch, you will see that God's love for his people is ongoing. It starts everything. I mean, the idea that God chooses Abraham and then chooses to go with him and all this great people comes out of him in which to this day we are blessed as a result of him. And, and there is love, that theme of love that goes throughout the entire scripture. That, that God is love and that God, love is something that God does profusely and incessantly. He does that. I mean, think about um, if you do a search. Well, no, don't. Actually, on Google, like just type in love. Because, listen, I would say don't even, don't even click on 99% of the stuff that comes up. Because it will be, it, it'll give you something and lead you somewhere in your mind or in your thoughts or in your attitude that is contrary to what the Bible teaches about love. Amen. And if you don't believe me, no, I'm not going to tell you to do it, but it's true. There is a lot of garbage out there about what love is, and we have a lot of gar- a lot of garbage to come into our minds and into our lives about what love is and how it looks. 
And so, listen, songs have been written about it, and some of the songs, well, they weren't that great <laughs> about love. And, they, and some of them described love what they thought, and they didn't think love was that great. And there's other songs that, well, they were actually pretty good. But people have sung about it, written about it, they've talked about it, they've debated it, they've philosophized about it. It's all out there. The many books that are written, self-help books. Now, about love. Now, think about self-help books about love, which actually contradicts what love is all about in the first place. Man, it's just crazy, all right? And, and there's millions, millions of pieces of information out there. But with all this information that's available today, about anything, right? But especially love. Love has actually become a very confusing subject to people. You know, when you watch the internet, you check out, or you watch TV or check out the internet or you look at whatever uh, materials that are out there, you walk away and you realize that not just our world, but bring it close to home here in the United States of America, here in our own society, we have a very poor understanding of what love is. And with humanity so confused about love, then who is to say what love is? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we know that as Christians, the Bible tells us who is love and what is love. And we can find our answer there. And the answer, of course, is God. God tells us what love is and what it's all about and what it's supposed to be like. God tells us all that. And no, I'm not going to give you even a simple primer or an exhaustive primer on what love is necessarily. But I am going to talk about how God's character is all about love and what that looks like. And we can get an idea that can shape our own understanding so that how we live and how we perceive what love is hopefully will be more like what God says it is. One of the simplest and yet most profound descriptions, I think, of love is found in our text in John chapter 4. And actually in verse 8, it says God is love. And we'll get to that in a second. But let's read our text. In verse verse 7, the Bible says in 1 John 4, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. All right, I'm not going to address this in detail, but where does love come from? God. So the very idea, love, love comes from God. Everyone, he says here next, who loves has been born of God and knows God. Now, all right, I can't help myself. I did this in the first service and I can't help myself because it just struck me. Now, I don't know, but when I read that, and I I tend to read the Bible and accept where it's very clear and you study and you understand that there are things that are figurative and you don't take literally. I take the Bible literally and I believe the Bible is God's word for us. It's his instruction manual. Tells us how to live. Tells us our condition. Tells us what God wants, who God is, and in light of our relationship to him, how we can make things right. That's Jesus, of course, and so on and so forth. It's it's, And I take it literally. And when I read this and it says in the second part of verse 7, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then I move to the first part of verse 8, and it says, Whoever does not love does not know God. Now, okay. I think that the writer meant what he said, and he meant what he wrote. He he really meant it. What he said or what he wrote, he meant that. He wasn't just writing that to sound cutesy or nice or to be whatever, but he's, he's being from God. He's inspired and he's writing. If you don't love, then you don't know God. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me nervous. 
Not in, not in, a, fear, not in a fearful way, because I know that I, I have, I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I understand. I'm not trying to cheapen that whole thing, too. However, I don't want to cheapen Scripture. And I don't want to cheapen what the Bible says. If the Bible says that if you don't love, then you don't know God, is that for real or is that just there just because? You know what? It's real. It's real. I'm going to say it again. It's for real. You know how I know? Because this isn't the only place it's stated like this. In different ways, the same exact thing is said multiple times in the entire first epistle of John. In different ways, the same thing is stated. In chapter 1, if you say that you're in the light, but you're walking in darkness, you have no fellowship. And he talks about love there as well. That if you can't love your brothers and sisters in chapter 2, then what are you doing? Whose are you? Who do you belong to? There are different ways he says this. I'm not even preaching yet, but I'm just... uh, It's a very important thing, because it should make us nervous, okay, In, in, in a healthy way. And I, and I seriously mean that. Because this is a challenge. And if you, this is, this is the seriousness of this love issue and of what love is. And, if, and we all had this idea in our head of what love is. But if you're not loving, for example, specifically your brother and sister, then there's a problem. Can I just break it to you? I mean, honestly. But there is a solution. There is a solution. And we'll get to that a little bit later. There's a solution. It should make us nervous. Dear friends, I'll start again. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your grandmother or whatever. We get all that from those people, but, but love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us in verse 9. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Or it's perfecting, it perfects us, as another translation says. So if we're looking at the answer of what love is and get an idea to understand what this love, what love really looks like and what it's supposed to be from God's perspective, we get the answer from Him and then we understand that we see what God's love is all about and we see three simple characteristics. The first one is, is that God's love is personal. Now listen, we can, we can all agree on that, I would hope. Okay, just as people. That, that love, in general, is a personal thing. Now, you can love inanimate objects. We know what that means. But love was created and was meant, because it comes from God, to be something that is experienced and known between human beings. Now, you can love Fido or whatever your dog's name is. That's fine. You can love, And your dog, dog can love you back. We get that. We understand that. Those are legitimate feelings, emotions, relationships that are there. That You have them and... Good for you, all right? That's great. That, that's fine. I'm not a pet guy. All right, so, so you have your relationship. You have that love there. But love is much more than that. It's, it's something deeper because there's a spiritual component to that that you cannot experience with your dog. It has limitations. Now, just as a Christian, you can't sit there and cuddle up to your dog and have your dog pray with you. Like, literally with you. Your dog might be sitting by you when you pray, but your dog can't pray with you. Only another human being can do that, for example. 
And there's a love, a depth that can be shared there. So listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking you pet people. I'm not just saying. I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, just to make sure, because some of you sometimes feel like it's more than that. It's not. It's, it, it's, it's, it's there, God-given. But love is more. There's a spiritual component to this. God is love. He says, dear friends, let us love one another. The huge key in the idea that it's personal is that God, he makes this command, he makes a statement. He says, let us love one another. And again, Here's this theology of one another, which we're not going to do today. But one another, the idea that it comes from the Trinity, the Godhead. There's three people, they're together, right, persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They love each other so much, their relationship, they submit to each other so perfectly. They have such this, this relationship we can't even understand or explain, but it's there and it's the most perfect relationship that ever existed, right? And he says, let us love one another, just like when God created us. And said, let us make man in our image. Us. The, the one another. The idea that there's, you love one another. You love your brother, your sister. You love a person. And, you, and, and there's, there's a personal aspect to this. It doesn't say, friends, let us love your 1965 Shelby GT. He doesn't say, let us love your, you fill in the blank. He says, let us love one another. It's people. It's personal. Because love comes from God, who is a person. He's not just some, you know, cosmic force out there. He's a person. Love comes from God. So we love one another. There's a personal aspect to this. Everyone who loves has been born of God. We already said that. Verse 7 states that love comes from or is from God. It doesn't come from human limitations to define it. Or it doesn't even come from those human limitations to express what love is. Because every single human being who has thought up or, or contrived or, or, or come up with some kind of idea of what love might be, should be, could be, and tried to express it in different ways, whether verbally or physically or otherwise, has come up short to describe and to define what love is. Love is from God. Love comes from God. God defines that and expresses what it is. And then verse 8 ends that God is love. Now just a little side note here. He is by nature love. God is by nature love. Love doesn't define God. Doesn't. He defines it. God defines love. Love doesn't define God. God defines what love is. And that's a big deal because we can say that God is love as the writer of 1 John did, but we cannot say that love is God. Can't do that. The overriding notion in these two verses is that the love of God is personal, as I mentioned. God's love causes us to know Him and Him to know us. A.W. Tozier said it best. He said, The love of God is one of the great realities of the universe. It's a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing, too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He doesn't love masses, but He loves men. It's personal. It's not just this thing he throws out there and if it sticks here or there, fine. If it falls off again, he'll stick it somewhere else. No, his love is for people and it's personal. One of the most powerful messages that we take today as Christians is that God loves them. Why is that one of the most powerful messages? Because people need love. They need to be loved. And the way that that love was expressed and that God loves them is because he gave Jesus. 
And we're going to get to that a little bit more in a minute. Every individual person is important to God, and he loves them. Now, the Bible tells us that God loves everyone. In, in Psalms, in the Old Testament, the different Psalms especially declare how God's love is towards all creation. All men are blessed. There, there's that general love of God. And then, of course, God loves, kind of like, you know, if you, if you love your brother and sister in the church, but, but I love my wife a little more than I love my brother and sister in the service, Right? I mean, we know what we mean by that. It's still love, but it's, a, it's different, right? And that, that's the kind of love God has for his sheep or his people. It's still love. God still loves humanity. But the ones that he died for and those who are his and those come to him, well, that, it, the level's kind of up. I don't know. I, I fall short of words, right? But it's a different love. It's that family love. That is, it's still there. It's deeper. But it's, it's, it's the one that will carry you through and secure you all the way. But he still loves all people. You know, one of the things that, if you look at John 3.16. Now, theologians argue, but one thing they can't argue about John 3.16 is if you look at the actual language. And then people always say, well, you take context. Well, even take context. It doesn't work in this situation. When you see John 3.16, it says, for God so loved what? He means the world. He means the world. He means the world. Amen. I mean, he means the world. Now, does God know that people will reject him? Yes, but he loves the world and he wants them to come to him. He loves the world. He loved the world so much. And it's personal. Each individual person he created, he loves and wants them, desires them to be in a love relationship with him back and forth. When teaching his disciples, Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, I find that very amazing and incredible and, and encouraging. And that there is not a single bird that falls from the sky without God's notice. What about you and me? He sees you. He loves you. He cares. He knows where you're going, when you leave, when you come, when you go, when you fall down, when you get up, when you sleep. What? He knows it all. He knows, and we're so important. He knows every, every hair on our head, on my head. He knows every hair. He knows every freckle on your face and where it is and why it's there. And he knows every pain that you feel. He knows every difficult person in your life and, and he knows them very well. And he knows very well how difficult they are to you and how sometimes you are too. He knows every bill you have to pay. And the list goes on. There's nothing that goes unnoticed in your life by God. And Jesus illustrated how personal he is when he said in John chapter 10, some of the great I am statements that he made. He said, I am the good shepherd. He said, I know. Know is a relational term. That it's a deep, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's a deep, heartfelt, spiritual, it's a connection. They're a bond, a relationship that is the deepest a friendship can have. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So in the same way that the, 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 the Father and the Son and the Godhead know each other, Jesus knows you. And he loves you just as much as well. I'm blown away by something in relation to God's love. And I, I, I actually, when I was going over the sermon, I believe I shared this in another sermon quite a while ago. But if you heard it, you remember it, great, because it's a good one. It's a story about an elderly woman who was sitting in a, in a service, 
And then at the service, there were some preachers and some other guys who were debating theology. And they were arguing about this whole idea of like the doctrine of predestination. They're arguing and fighting back and forth, going in and out, up and down, and she's had it. And she finally jumped in and she said something. Guys, listen, I settled the whole predestination thing in my heart a long, long time ago. And I've been around for a long time. And she said, if God had not chosen me before I was born... I am not sure that he would have seen something in me or anything in me to have chosen me afterwards. That's the love of God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you. There is nothing you will do to make God change his mind to love you more or less. There is nothing you can do. And so I'm glad that God chose me before I was born. Because I'll tell you what, he could choose me after I'm born, whatever. How You can argue that all you want. But he chose me before, and the Bible tells us that. He chose me because, man, if I go along, and the more I look at my life and all my ups and downs, there's nothing that you should love about me. Trust me. I won't tell you, but trust me. He chose us because he loves us. It's interesting, and it's, but it's so true. There is nothing about us makes God love us more. Romans 3.10 actually is an, a crazy indictment on our situation, our condition, and still God loves us. It's written, Paul says in Romans 3 verse 10, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. Think about that. People aren't even seeking God. They want nothing to do with Him, and God still loves them. That's love. To be blown off for centuries or for your entire life and to still love someone for that? I mean, you wouldn't put up with that for more than a few days in your own relationships. God puts up with it with people for a long, long time because he's loved them in advance. He's loved you in advance. If you're a child of God, I mean, he has loved you for a long, long time. It says, all, he said, all have turned away. They have, come to, all, they have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one has done good. There's nothing good about us, and God still loves us. God does not love us because we're valuable. Man, we love to think of ourselves as being so necessary to a certain equation, in a certain place, in an environment, or a relationship, or whatever, or our value is so high, and we, we're all in this self-esteem thing because of where we fit in, how we do. I, I mean, that's another sermon. Okay, the self-esteem thing. But anyway, we, the value thing. Listen, you are not... You are not you, i got to stop myself because my mind is going there. All right, get back on the trail, Bob. Don't go down the rabbit trail. All right, God does not love us because we're valuable. We are valuable because God loves us. That's what it comes down to. 1 John 4.19 declares later on in our chapter that we love Him, we love God. Why? How can it be? And why do we love God in verse 19? Anybody have that? What does it say? Why? Because He first loved us. There you go. The idea that we can approach God with love and we can love Him enough that He loves us back is beyond... Don't even go there. You can never do that. God loved you first and because He loved you in your sinful state and chose to still love you is what love is really all about. It's personal. It's you. It's about you and God. And so the first characteristic of God's love is that it's personal. Second characteristic of God's love is that it's proven. God's love isn't just personal. God's love is proven. God's love is proven. Let me tell you, we struggle to do this as people. 
in our relationships. Because, because we know how we are. So we're always working to prove our love and to show our love. And now listen, now even biblically, God does the same thing. He proves his love. He shows his love. We have to show, we have to prove our love to one another and to our spouses and to our, our children and to all those that we love, to the, to the body of Christ. We have to show and exhibit and demonstrate and prove that we have the love of God in our hearts by loving them. That is something that God wants us to do. Notice verses 9 to 10. It says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is love? It's that self-sacrificing that happens. It's that, that you don't, you think about others first all the time. Even though he was God, Jesus left that glory. He came down and thought about you first. Thought about your sinful state and died for you and sacrificed. He gave his life in your place so that you can know what his love is and you can live in his love and then you can share his love. That is what how you prove love. He gave his life. God's love was proved for us was proven uh, through the life and death of his son Jesus Christ. It's not entirely about how you feel. We all know that. Love isn't about how you feel, but what we can do and the choices we make. That is not what biblical love is. John chapter 10, verse 15, I read earlier where Jesus said that I'm the good shepherd, right? And as, as the father, I know, and I, my sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep just as I know the father. He says that, but he finished, I left out an important part. In verse 15, he says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what love is. That's what agape, that's what true love is. It is to be self-sacrificing. It's to love people when, well, they really aren't that lovely. And you still love them no matter what. And you love people, well, just because you love them. That's what God does. Boy, I don't know, but that's hard for me to do. Forgive me, because I know most of you do. But I, 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 it, sometimes it's hard to love in certain situations or circumstances. But you get through it because of the love of God, right? And, and, and you learn more and more to be like God and, and to love one another and to love as Christ. But you prove your love by how you live and what you do, not just what you say or how you feel. Love requires actions. It's demonstrated through behavior. And God's love is no exception. So he sent Jesus to die for you and for me. It doesn't, it doesn't do any good to talk about love and compassion without demonstrating it. And God demonstrates his love. He's proven his love for us. When God sent Jesus, it wasn't God's panic move like, oh no, the world is all dying in sin. What am I going to do? And he's freaking out. He had a plan from a long, long time ago, and it wasn't just a spontaneous decision. It was planned. Because Jesus' death, it wasn't just a result of a bunch of jealous Jews who wanted to put him to the cross and kill him. And it wasn't even the hard-hearted Romans who were so cruel and could care less and just wanted to be efficient and expedite this whole execution as fast as possible, take care of it at the Jews' uh, desire, and just go for it. That wasn't it. It was the result of a, actually, of a loving God who in his wisdom said that there was no other way to prove his love for us. And so he showed it by making it personal. And he came to us and he died. Now there's a verse in John chapter 15 and verse 9. John chapter 15 and verse 9. It starts off with another I am statement of Jesus. He says that I am the true vine and you are the branches. You all remember that? If you know the Bible. You're familiar with that? Okay. 
So he's the vine with the true branches. And he, I mean, he says, you can do nothing apart from me. You should bear much fruit. And then he prunes and all the different things that he does. But in verse 9, he says something that just stood out for me as I was going through this. And it, it just, it captivated me. And it just, I don't even know how to like process my thoughts before you. Um, but Jesus said that just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. And then he says, abide in my love. That's what verse 9 says. Now, let me ask you a question. How much does God love Jesus? How much does love God Jesus? How much does God love Jesus? Totally, completely. I mean, we come up with words because we, we we're trying to find something. But how much does he love him? As, as pure and as perfect as love can be, right? We, we can't even explain it. We don't know. It is, is perf- love the perfection of love, the love that he has for his son. And yet he says that the same love, he says here, that just as the Father has loved me, or in the same way that the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Now think about that for a minute. Talk about personal. Talk about being proven that this God who created you, and then you were a sinner, you're, 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 you're messed up, and you're dying in sin, and he loves you so much, as much as he loves his son Jesus. And he loves you, and he tells the disciples that, which by transference means he says that to you as well if you're a child of God. He loves you that much. It's personal, and he proved it to the point that he died, not only for the disciples that he was training up to become apostles, but for you and for me, if you're a child of God, he died for you. And he loves you as much as his Father loves him. You can't grasp that without the Holy Spirit touching you and showing you that. You just can't do it. Let me ask you, can you think of the many ways that God's love has been proven to you? Can you think of that? I mean, I know for some of you, your mind races and your list starts, starts building up and going. I mean, his care for you, his provision, his protection, his guidance, the strength to carry on that he gives you are among them a long list of the ways that God's love is personally proven to you. Do you see it? Are you experiencing it? Do you know it? Because God's love is personal It's also proven, and last and finally, God's love is perfecting. It's perfecting. Now, what do we mean by perfecting? Well, let's look here in verse 12. Verse 12 says that no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. It's another way of saying perfecting, but perfecting is better. It's, it's a, in the older translations, it's a better word, perfecting. Why? There's two reasons that John writes this idea that no one has ever seen God, just to start. One of them is because the Gnostics, the philosophers and false religious people, they all, this is what they had. And I, I mentioned this last sermon because I guess it fit in. Maybe it was mentioned in another sermon by somebody else about the Gnostics. But, so they had this thing. They had this idea that, that they would have these experiences, maybe even out of body or intellectual or whatever they were, spiritual experiences, and that you had to have the special experiences where you were enlightened and you got, to, you got to know who God was. You connected with him, right? 
So it was kind of like, he, and, and he's saying here, no one has ever seen God because all these guys are saying, well, I had this experience, man. Like I was like meditating and I was like, and I was like, it was like for 20 hours, man. I didn't eat nothing. I mean, I had the incense going and like I was like zoned out and then man, boom. And I, I, I connected with God and I know what love is. And like, you really have to have that experience to know what it is. And like, and John says, no one has ever seen God. Even if it's through your experience or your intellectual thing or some psychedelic thing or whatever you want to call it, no one has seen God. And you're, they're walking around saying, well, I have, I know who God is, I've seen, let me tell you, you have to do this to, and you'll see God. And no, he does this to say that's a bunch of baloney, that no one has seen God. However, the second part why he wrote this is he says that nobody has seen God, but he says, but... He says that we see God's love and we see who God is in our relationship with one another. So you don't see it in some kind of weird experience, right? But you see it when we have a real experience with one another. That is actually, it's, and sometimes even tangible, if I could put it that way. But it's between one of uh, the brothers and sisters in Christ. God's love is in us. And because we love each other, the love of God is made known or it is seen, it is evident, it is manifest here and now. Is it here in its totality? Well, no, not really. But, but, but sort of. It reveals who Jesus is, and it reveals Christ to the world around us and to one another. We get to see who Jesus is, and we see clearly who Jesus is when we love one another. And when you don't do it, you see everything but Jesus. When there isn't love, man, let me tell you, I see it in my, when there isn't love, and, 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 and when, when Preston and Cohen aren't showing love to each other, boy, it's, it's not a pretty picture. It's not like Jesus, let me tell you that. It's not Jesus-like. It's not Christ-like, right? The attitudes are flying. The words are coming off the lips that aren't Christ-like. And they're mad at each other. And thank God that they're at that age that, you know, within 10 minutes they're hugging each other and, and whooping it up again anyway, right? But for some of us, as we get older, we hang on to that stuff a lot longer. And then that's why we have this warning. If you don't love one another... You don't know who God is. Because when we do love one another, it actually brings Jesus to earth. If I, sorry for using that expression, but it brings Jesus to earth manifested here when we love one another and care for each other. Amen? That's how, and, and so that, that's how God's love gets manifest in our world. The idea is that God's love, when we say that God's love is, 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 is complete in us, makes us complete or it's perfecting us, the idea is that God's love is being fulfilled in us. It's growing and it's permeating everything that we do because He lives in us. The God who is love lives in us. And you ever hear that, that children's song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? Oh, be, I can't sing, see, but I'm going to keep going anyway. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? For the Father up above, He is looking down in love. love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Love, right? And then it talks about the feet and the hands and the mouth and, you know, all, all the different things and that, that they would be pleasing to God. But let me ask you a question. Because there are all kinds, not even just little children, but people all around us that are looking at us. And my question is, what version of God's love are people seeing through us? Let's not pretend, man. Let's do an honest assessment of our own personal lives, but then also maybe amongst each other. What does that look like? Is it God's love? Or is it a pretend love? And since God's love is already perfect, right? 
The phrase, his love is perfected in us, or is being complete in us, making us complete, actually has to do with perfecting or fine-tuning us, preparing us so that we could be with God in heaven one day. Another way to translate this phrase would be that God's love completes us, if you want to put it that way. And what a wonderful thought, that it's making us more like Christ. Without the love of God, we will never be complete or perfect. Without the love of God, you would never even be on the track to become what God wants you to be. God's love, as with all true love, is meant to foster the personal growth and development of the one he loves. And this means that God's love is unselfish. He is genuinely looking out for our best interests. And he does this without end. He wants your best because he loves you all the time. All the time. And this is the beauty. This is the beauty. And I seriously, this is the beauty of Christian marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, the love of the husband for his wife is to be the same as Christ's love for his church. And it goes for both spouses. I know the husband is addressed, but it's a reciprocal thing. And the command is there for all believers. So it goes for the wife as well, both spouses, but especially for the And what is that perfecting? What is it? It's all, what is this love? What is this love all about? It's a perfecting love. It's a love that means you bring that person into that love. You have given cause for that person to love you. And you love them first. You love your bride first. And there's a reciprocation. And that love grows. And you're like, we're going to tie the knot. Well, Anyway, we're going to get married, right? We're going to make a vow. We're in it forever. We're good. We love each other. We're going to demonstrate God's love. And then we're going to show the world what that means. And it means we're sacrificial and we're selfless. And we care about the other more than myself. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. It's a perfecting love. And in that process, that Jesus is going to present us one day. The Bible says he's going to present us one day as pure and spotless, that bride to, the, to God our Father one day in eternity. That's what the Bible says. A lot of you know that, right? You're going to be presented as pure and spotless. Your job is to love so much, and that's the beauty of Christian marriage, so much that you will foster and that you will, you will do everything to encourage spiritual growth and love in your spouse, that you, your acts and the acts that you do will demonstrate your bride's value and purity. That's a powerful thing because it's lacking so much today all across our world. And the same is true for the bride because love always looks out for the best of others first. To become more and more Christ-like is what that love is supposed to do. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not, you, you know, I don't, I, I didn't marry my wife so I could love her so she becomes more like my mother-in-law-like, or to be more like my mother-in-like. I don't want her to be mother-like. I want her to be Sharon-like and, and, and exactly what God made her to be like. That's what I want her to do. And I, when I love her, I do that and I encourage her and she grows in the Lord and she loves me back and we grow together and we become more like Christ and she becomes Sharon Jeruda, who God has uniquely created and made to be who she is. Not like anyone else, but Christ-like. That's how much I should love her and we should love our spouses. It's a beautiful picture of that perfecting love. And that when I find all the little blemishes and weird things going on, I don't just cover it up, pretend it's not there, but I go and I say, we're going to work through this and we're going to make it right. And we're going to fix those problems because of the love of God. Not because of my love, but the love of God in me. 
and we're going to reflect the love of Christ to the world through this institution. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. He's loved you from the beginning, and no matter what, he'll love you to the end. It's perfecting. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stall. It doesn't waver. It's there until you get to the end, being just like Jesus until you see him face to face. God's love for us is from eternity, without beginning, without end. And I close with this one scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Here we go again to that whole predestination thing. Bible says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. There it is again, to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's what the perfecting love of God will do. And it says in verse five, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God takes pleasure in loving people. And God takes pleasure in choosing people to be his. And it's his plan. It's part of his plan. And his plan goes on and on and on to love you and perfect you all the way till you see him face to face one day. Amen? That's what God's love is. There's a hint of what true love is like. And it is found in God and who God is and God's character. And God tells us that true love is personal. It's proven and it's perfecting. That's what God's love is all about. Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning. Father God, I thank you for this word this morning. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the scripture, Lord, and just work deep in our hearts. Lord, I pray for convicted hearts that they would turn back to you and that they would respond to your love, to your draw that stems from your love, God, and they would run to you and make things right, Lord. I pray, God, that if there are those here this morning that never accepted you or received you as Lord and Savior, that because of your love that is possibly, and I'm sure, drawing them even now, God, that they would simply bow in their hearts and admit that they're sinners, that they need you to wash away their sin because of what you did on the cross, and that you want them, you want, you want, uh, and that they want you to be their Lord. God, I pray, God, they would surrender their lives to you. Lord, I just pray, God, that as we go today and that as we leave, we not just be challenged or convicted, but we are encouraged, God, because your love will never fail us. And your love will never end. It's there to stay. You will love us all the way until we see, Lord, the Father face to face one day. So, God, I pray that we would grow in your love, that you would teach us, that we would learn as we surrender to you and submit to your Holy Spirit and your word, that we would love one another even as you have loved us. So God, thank you that you showed us that true love is personal, it's proven, and it's perfecting, Lord God. So as we go today and into this week, may we walk in that love and in the power of that love. May it, Lord Jesus, empower us and strengthen us, Lord, to be everything you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Go in God's love and grow in God's love. Amen.